Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Let's go back to the passage we've been looking at, which is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we've been in chapter, verses 1 through 10. We're going to go back over some of those verses, and uh, we're going to recap briefly. I mean, it's going to be briefly. We're going to run right through it. And then we're going to focus our time on verses 9 and 10, and then we're going to move over to a chapter in Luke, and that's how we're going to finish up. So we're in verses 1 through 10, chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us used also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. And now would you just reveal more and more of it to us, enlighten us, and show us and how to walk in these good works you talk about. In your name we pray. Amen. So we look and we find this, that at the beginning of that passage, right, that it tells us that we were dead. All of us. All of us were dead in our transgressions. Dead literally couldn't make ourselves alive. Dead didn't know the things that God wanted for us, didn't even have an understanding of who God was, and didn't acknowledge who uh, his spirit, his movement, that which was holy or unholy. We didn't acknowledge it. We just didn't. We, we, we realized from that passage that there were several things that work within our lives. There was just the, the structure of the world, the systems of the world that placed themselves against God, and we just followed right along with those systems and just continued to live our dead life. We, we saw that there was a, uh, uh, an actual evil force, Satan, the devil in Scripture. It's very real. We didn't go too far into it last week. We said we're going to get to chapter 6 in Ephesians and really unpack that. But there is a real, true adversary to God and God's people. He is against God, and he is against all things of God. And so he works against anyone coming to know Christ. He works in favor of the dead and helping them to stay dead, and he never works in favor of God. So he's tempting us, showing us a different path, reminding us of ourselves and our own personal greatness and all the things that we can have within ourselves that seem so wonderful, always pointing us away from God. Then we said that there's our own sinful makeup. We were born, right, our, our, our natural spiritual DNA is evil. Our natural spiritual DNA is is death, right? We're dead, but it's to serve the selfish desires of ourself, our own flesh, 
it's, it's just what was passed down from Adam. And that's who we were. This is who we were. But God said, I don't want you to stay that way. God said, that is not my desire for you. But God said, I want you to be alive. I created you to live. I created you to have a relationship with me. And so he extended his mercy. While we deserve to stay that way, because that's the way we live, that's the way we were, that's the way we chose to be, that's the uh, the seed that was passed down, that's the way we existed. So we deserved him to say, done. My judgment is, is you wanted death, you got it. You're living in death, keep it. Done. But instead he says, no. I, I, I... Brought mercy into your life. You'll no longer live in the consequences of that disobedience. You'll no longer live like that. You'll no longer be a dead man or woman walking. My mercy triumphs over my judgment. Still true who we were. Still true the way we lived. Still true that we were God and God was not. Still true. And yet his mercy triumphs over that very true judgment. Then he extended grace to us. And grace is not just that I won't judge you for that, I won't give you the consequence, but grace is now live. Live as a redeemed person. No longer slaved and bound to that existence. Live as my son or daughter with full rights and privilege. Live with your inheritance today, not in the future. Live with my Holy Spirit indwelling in you. You do not deserve that, but I'm giving it to you. You deserve the consequence and wrath and my mercy's triumphing over that. You don't deserve anything from me, but I give you the whole of who I am. I give you everything that it might bless you and it might give you life, the life you were intended to have. We said, what's our response to that? Is that we need to be grace-giving people. We're going to dive into that a little bit more today. That we need to be a mercy-giving people. And then we just breezed over it, and it was that we were empowered with faith. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And we're like, okay, I, I had to have faith in God through faith. And then Paul gives this little tiny just few words in there, and we read past it like it's nothing, and yet it's everything. Right? So it's for grace you have been saved. All right. Through faith. Yep, I had to have faith in you in order to be saved. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The very faith to believe in God was from him. Remember, the dead person can't have faith in anything. The dead person can't desire anything the very faith, even to have enough faith to go, yes, I believe, Uh, yes, I want that grace, yes, thank you for that mercy, yes, I was, the very faith, the most basics of faith, the, the smallest of faith, it was given to us by God. It wasn't conjured up within us, it wasn't something we rationalized, even though we think we may have, it wasn't something that we said, yeah, well, uh, you know, yeah, philosophically, this makes a lot of sense, I'm in. It wasn't that. We had no desire whatsoever to be with God in a relationship with God, to receive anything from God, to care about God, until he gave us the faith to begin to seek. Think to when you came to know Christ. Think to when you surrendered your life to him. Even that language, 
It was prompted by something else. It was prompted by an invitation. It was prompted by the Lord moving. It was prompted by him taking whatever your circumstances were, whatever the situations, whatever your knowledge was, he was prompted by him adding life to that. It was prompted by him calling you. He did it all. We receive the benefits of what he did. And then he did the unthinkable, right? We talk about it all the time. He indwelled us with the Holy Spirit, which then increases our faith, assures our faith, grows our faith. I know I, I might use far too many uh, illustrations from athletics. I, I know. I know I might. But Paul used them first, so I'll just blame it on him, okay? I'm saying he used them. Listen, the great dream of my life is I wanted to play professional football. That was my great dream. And, and I, I was going to do it. I just had one problem. I wasn't good enough. Well, wait, I had another problem. I wasn't big enough. I had another problem. I wasn't mean enough. I mean, I just had problems. And no matter how hard I tried, I, I was never a professional football player. No matter how much I desired it, I was never a professional football player. No matter what. When I went into college to play football, I was a whopping six foot two, 202 pounds. I don't know if you know what that means. But as an offensive center, it means you should probably go home. I was just ornery enough to grab onto somebody and make them really mad. And they let me hang out. And then I ate a whole lot of food, worked out a whole lot, and the most I ever weighed was 240 pounds. You don't get to the NFL weighing 240 pounds, not as an offensive center. It doesn't work. Okay, enough of that, right? You don't care about that. But here's what it is. The faith that we're given, the life that we're suddenly given, the Holy Spirit that indwells us, it's as if. I had this really dead dream, and I woke up, and I'm six foot six, 350 pounds, and can run a, a 4-2-40, and I got hands the size of King Kong, and man, I can do it, and suddenly I don't even know myself, and I'm like, whoa, who is this, and who am I? I have a knowledge I never had. I can see things coming. I never thought they were coming. All of a sudden, I'm just living dramatically different. I'm a fully different presence. That's what happens to us when we are given faith to see and understand who God is, and suddenly the word of God starts to come alive in us. We don't do anything. We're just waking up to what God is doing in our life and this incredible transformation he's bringing about and the faith to see and understand anything. And once you start to have, once you have that faith to see and understand, it becomes intoxicating. I mean, it just becomes intoxicating. I want you to please remember, it's going to be important for the rest of our time together this morning. Remember when you first gave your life to Christ, it was an intoxicating moment. You were like, I didn't know. And you were excited about living for Jesus, and you couldn't wait to talk about him. And you were telling everybody, and they're like, hey, man, I don't, how much are you going to talk about Jesus? I go, is there anything else to talk about? Do you know what has happened in my life? I just got to tell you, I was dead and now I'm alive. 
and everything was Jesus, 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 and, and there was no doubt in your mind the power that he had to change things, to do things, and you were, you know, you were in this jam at work, and all of a sudden something goes wrong, you're like, hey, let's pray. <laughs> They're like, pray? Give me a wrench. And I'm like, yeah, he's got one of those too. Do you remember how exciting your faith was? Do you remember what it was like to come to know Christ, to be in that your faith that was given to you by God came alive. Church, beloved as you're called in Scripture, it's supposed to stay that way. The same Holy Spirit's indwelling us. The same faith is in us. It's supposed to stay that way. And how do we know? Because it's not by us. We didn't conjure up the faith. It was given to us. And what God gives, he gives whole. He gives complete. And it's endless. It hasn't changed. We've changed. The amount of faith we've been given hasn't changed. We changed. The excitement of our faith, it hasn't changed. We changed. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. It was all him. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were made for good works, not because of good works. So right here, we're being recreated in Christ. We're being brought to life in Christ. We're being made new in Christ. We didn't do it. It wasn't of ourselves. We had nothing to do with it. He did it all. So it wasn't by works that this occurred. It was for works. That's the other reason we know that that same faith, that same exciting faith, that faith that brought us to life is still the same because it is meant to go throughout the whole of our lives and into eternity to do the works that God has for us to do. We have a mission before us. I mean, literally, we have a mandate for us that he saved us to do good works. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at these good works. And I'm going to go through a couple of these really fast because we talk about them every single week. But I think sometimes we view it as uh, it just sort of happens. The happening part was what Jesus did when he gave you faith. The happening part was what he did when he brought you from the dead to life. The happening part was the first breath you took in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was, it just happens. Then we join the work of the Holy Spirit and we go about our lives. It's called sanctification. That sanctifying process, it's a progressive work in our lives where we join the Holy Spirit, developing and bringing about our faith for these good works, developing our character, developing our presence, developing our understanding of who God is for these good works. But it means we have to be a part of it. It means we jump in. It means it is our new mission and mandate in life. It is the purpose of our existence to be about the good works that God has for us. So what is the first good work? There's many. We can't cover them all. And what I want to remind us is that Ephesians will continue to cover these good works as we go. We're just going to kind of capture them real fast. So one of them is to grow up in Christ. That's one of the first good works that we need to be a part of. In Mark 12, 30, 31, it says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now you're tuning out. I just know it. I know it. I know you are, right? Because you've heard that passage a bazillion times in church. 
Love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. I got it, Tim. That's the best you got for me this morning? You must have pulled that out of some old file. Think about it. To grow up in Christ, to love him with my whole heart, that's that, that, my, my, my whole, the whole of my thoughts, all of my strength. Man, I got to, there's a priority here. This is something I got to go after. This is something that I'm going to have something to do with. This is the priority of my life, to love God with the whole of my life. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. No greater command than these. 1 Peter 2, 2-3 says this, Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You may grow up in learning how to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You may grow up in learning how to love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. Crave spiritual milk so that by it you will grow up in your salvation. And now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're going back now. Remember the Lord is good? We've tasted it and we got to continue to grow. We got to continue to grow. Look, don't give a baby his milk on time. That baby's screaming, right? He's got to have his milk. I've been reminded hanging out with the Hodges and little Cohen on Sunday nights while we have our young adults group, mine and Chris's job is to babysit the Hodges kids so he can go lead the young adult group. Woo! That's, a, that's an eye-opener right there. Amazing kids. But one's two and one I don't know because he doesn't talk or move or do much yet. So I don't know, right? And all I know is that I don't do much with little Cohen because that's my wife's job. I just chase, I just chase Ezra along because he moves and he sort of talks and he takes cars and runs them on walls. And I'm like, I can do that with you, bro. Lots of wall running on the cars. I got that. All of a sudden, we know, right? So Cohen's not doing much, kind of fussing. All of a sudden, we're like, Aah! And I'm like, what does that mean? And she goes, it means he needs milk. I'm like, well, put it in his mouth. He craves it. He has to have it. And he has to have it right now. And without it, without it, he will die. You can give him water. You can give him all sorts of other things. He can't take a piece of steak right now. But what he can do is he can drink milk, and he craves that milk. That's what we, we had this faith. Remember when you first tasted the Lord and the Lord was good? Do you crave that and crave to be closer and crave to grow up in who he is, crave to know him more, crave to understand his character more, crave to know what he wants for your life, crave to understand these good works. The very first good work, which is to grow up in him. In Hebrews 5, it says this, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of the words all, of, of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by cons- by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, there's a whole lot in that passage we don't have the time to dive into. But what the biggest thing I want us to see is there's a whole bunch of people that, that the writer of Hebrews is talking to who aren't doing the good works that God had for them to do. They're not teaching, and they're not developing other believers, and they're not, they're not giving away their faith. Why? Because they stopped growing in their faith. Because they stopped taking the spiritual milk, they stopped craving 
the word of God. They stopped growing. And because of that, they ought to be teaching the word right now, but they don't even know it themselves. You see, part of our good works is we're to grow up in Christ that while we're growing, we're giving it away. I just got to tell you, I can't grow. I just shared an example of me growing. I can't grow without you pouring into my life. And you don't grow without me pouring into your life. Why? Because I have to give you my knowledge of the word and you have to give me your knowledge of the word. Right? But if we're not taking it in, if we're not growing. So here's what I want to give you. Three quick things. We've got to make it a priority. How is it that we grow up in the Lord? We've got to make it a priority. I'm not adding verses to this because it's all of Scripture. All of Scripture, you see, make it a priority. Is your relationship with God growing up in knowledge of him and understanding who he is, is it a priority? Look, I got it. We want to be good husbands, good fathers, good mothers, good, uh, good wives. We want to be good employees and good employers. We want to do a good job. I'm going to say for the follower of Christ, that's not the right order. That shouldn't be our desire to be good. Our desire should be, I want to be a godly father. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly woman. I want to be a godly worker. I want to be a, a godly employer. I want to be a godly neighbor. I want to be a godly giver. I want to be my relationship with God, that I would love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That would be a priority of my life. It would define my life. If my priority is to be godly, then all that comes into my life or out of my life is for the sake of what? Being godly being Christ-like, living out this new life that I've been given. And I want to get rid of the things that have nothing to do with God. You see how that works? You still go to work every day. You still have a family. Get your kids to practice. Get them to school. Help with the homework. You still got to do it all. But we're going to do it as a godly man, as a godly woman, with godly intentions, with the plans of God first and foremost on our minds. Here's what that looks like real quick. A woman uh, that I talked to, she's in our church. She's, a, she's just an amazing servant. She works with kids in a, a local area here, bringing in some uh, uh, fitness programs that are tied with teachings and, and some other stuff that kind of helps them out. All of a sudden, check this out, the nation got opened up to her. She went from this little local Leesburg thing of having influence right there. She went and talked at a national event and they said, you're now our representative for the whole nation. We want you to teach across the nation how to do what you're doing with children. She was like, what? Do what? And then she got excited. She said, I get to do it for Jesus. I'm now going to have access to teachers and leaders all over the country and I can tell them why it is that I want to do this in the first place. Because the teachings that I'm giving are literally the teachings of Christ. Woo! <laughs> and this is just in her job. You see, the most important thing to her is to be a godly woman who is about the godly plans of God. So no matter what comes her way, she has God lenses because it's the priority of her life. It's following Christ, the priority of your life. If not, it needs to be. That's your good works that you were created to do. So what does that look like? You got to give it the time. We can say something's priority, but if we don't give it the time, it's not really a priority, is it? We got to give it the time. Look, you want to know what a priority is? Look at your schedule. 
You want to know what your priority is? What monopolizes your time? Give it the time. We've, we've come to a place in our Western culture that was already existing in England and Australia and those places, but we are now here in America, full, fully here in America, across the country. If we go to church, because we live in now a post-Christian culture, if we go to church, we give church one hour. If we're associated with the body of Christ, we do it for an hour. If we give anything beyond that, we'll do a little study, maybe have a you know, small group, maybe maybe give just a little bit more. Now, if, if, if you have better practices in your life and you give more time, praise God for you. Praise God for what you're doing, for you are growing in Christ. You are giving it the time that's a priority to grow up in Christ that you were saved to do needed. Now, I'm not telling you how much time you have to give it. I'm just saying, give it the time. Make it a priority in your schedule. There's a new thing out right now in church, as you look at churches across the country. We have went from uh, counting attendance from every week to every two or three weeks to every month. And now the latest has come out and said, really, our churches are beginning to count every six weeks. Because we're just not finding it important to get to church, to be around other believers, to grow, to go to Bible studies, to listen. I want you to live. You're going to hear in a second. I want you to live in your faith out. Christ wants you to live in your faith out everywhere else. You have responsibilities. You have things to do. What kind of time is growing in your relationship with Christ getting? Whether it's personal Bible study, in community, giving yourself to other people, allowing other people to give themselves to you, raising one another up in the Lord. Is it getting time? And then finally, practice. We don't get, we don't find success at anything that we don't practice or work at. We don't find success at anything we don't practice or work at. We have to practice being in the Word by being in the Word. We have to practice understanding the Word by being in the Word. Being in the Word every day makes it easier to be in the Word. Praying every day makes it easier to pray. Coming to a prayer service, you're like, ah, I've been to one of those. That's the most boring thing I've ever been to in my life. Guess what? It's an hour. Come to a prayer service. Be around other people that are praying. And your prayer life will grow. Because you're practicing praying. You're going to practice listening with one another. You're going to practice bringing your request before the Lord. Do me a favor, by the way. Pull out that Connect card if you, if you have it. If you've already turned one in, great. Pull out another one. We've got lots of paper around this place. Pull that out and write a prayer request down. This Wednesday we're meeting. I want to, we want your prayer request. We want to pray for you, and others want to pray for you. Don't leave today without writing a prayer request down. You're like, ah, I don't need prayer. Yes, you do. I can't think of anything. What's your wife's name? You got one. What's your husband's name? Oh, that's a prayer request. How much kids? You got those? Oh, prayer request. Come on. We'll pray. We'll pray together. But watch what God does as we grow up in him. So we practice these things. We, we, we practice joining together and praying. We practice serving his body and those outside of his body. I have seen people running all over this church for the last two weeks, getting us ready for BBS. They're building, they're shaping, they're making, they're doing whatever. And I just sort of sit back and go, can I help? I don't know. It's amazing watching people use their gifts. It's amazing watching people serve the body of Christ. People going door to door, passing out flyers. It's amazing. Conversations that begin to happen. It's amazing. 
But we need to practice listening to God. Yes, that's what I said. Last, practice listening and being obedient to God. We need to practice it, right? So we have a priority. We've got to give it the time, and we need to practice. Got to practice. Ah, ah, wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it. So earlier this week, I, I walked in the building, and I was, somebody was trying to get in the door, and I helped him in, and he wouldn't use the bathroom. I'm like, huh. He said, hi, and that was kind of it. I'm like, all right, all right, right on. A couple days later, I'm coming in. I'm late for a meeting. I'm literally running through the parking lot. Not uncommon for me. And, uh, and so I passed this guy, and I'm like, that's the same guy. Huh. And the Lord said, stop. So I stopped. His name is Brandon. He's a vet. He moved back into our area with his family recently. Enrolled his kids in Providence, which I'm so grateful. What a godly school we have here. Man, we just started talking about life and shared who we were. And we knew, found out I was from California, Modesto. And he goes, my daughter's there right now. I've been trying to find her a church. I know exactly where Modesto is. Do you know any churches? I'm like, brother, do I know churches? Do I know pastors? This struggle that was on this man's heart that his daughter wants to go to church, and he can't direct her from 3,000 miles away how to do it. Who can he trust with his high school daughter to teach her about Jesus? And I'm like, my friend, I'm so glad I stopped to talk to you today. you got to practice listening and obedience. <sighs> There's too much here. We're called to be a holy people. How do we grow up in our faith? What are these good works? We grow up in our faith, right? The good works he has for us to do is to be a holy people set apart for him. We should look different. We're to live this holy and godly life. We're to live like Christ. We are to be a people set apart for him. Or do we look just like the rest of the rat race? We're not supposed to. There should be a distinct difference in us. So while we're practicing being in the word by being in the word, while we're growing in our faith, we're going to see the life that God wants us to live and the choices we're supposed to make and the way we're supposed to live out our lives, and we go do it, and it stands in stark contrast to everything else that's out there. And you're like, yeah, well, it's not supposed to be us and them. No, no, you're wrong. It is. I know. I know. But you're wrong. It is. For some in this world are dead, and some in this world are alive. Those are the only two categories. Dead and alive. The ones who are alive are supposed to look like Christ. The ones that are alive should look different than everybody else who's spinning in the blender. Our lives should look different. Our response to people should be different. Our attitude towards people should be different. Our care and concern for people should be different. Our response to God should be different. We talked about our number one priority. Everybody should be able to see that in our lives. Because what's happening, remember? God is breathing life into people. He is giving them faith. And when we live this different life, when we grow up, the good works he has for us is to live holy and blameless. We have to grow up in our faith so we know what that holy life looks like. And what's happening? God is breathing life. He's giving people faith. And we are rubbing shoulders with them every single day, pointing the way to Jesus. That's the next good work that we have, to point the way to Jesus. That's the good work. That's the good work we've been saved to do. Oh. Listen in Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus is literally eating with the worst of the worst. Now, we don't have an understanding of tax collectors, so let me give you the 15-second understanding of what tax collector means. You're like, oh, no, I do. I paid a lot this year. Stop it. You don't know. Listen, tax collectors in this context was this. They were collecting taxes for Rome, and you're like, oh, Rome, no big deal. I watched Gladiator. That's a pretty nice place. Are you kidding me? It was one of the ruthless regimes and empire that has ever, ever been on the face of the earth. One of the most ruthless ones. They, the Roman Empire was actually known to go into a village, a town, sack it, 20,000 people living there, and they bring the 20,000 men, women, and children, and they hang them on crosses for 20 to 30 miles on the way into Rome because you had to go in Rome to get your supplies, to pay your taxes, to do other things. You had to make it to Rome. And everybody who traveled the Roman road in a certain point would start to see crosses. And who was on the crosses? Men, women, and children dying these horrendous deaths. Slow, miserable, one of the worst executional practices in the history of mankind was the cross. And why were they lined the streets? Don't mess with Rome. And who were tax collectors? They were the Jews who bought the rights purchased the rights to collect taxes to pay for the Roman army. They were paying the murderers of their family members. They were paying the conquerors of their people. And how are they doing it? By grabbing taxes and giving it to the Roman government. Yeah, these were some pretty rotten people. Sinners? They were actually a class of people. Unfortunately, they were made a class of people by the, Jew, by the religious elite who said, look at all the evil things they do. Look at all the bad things they do. They don't do anything like we do. We're nice and clean and proper and we do all the good stuff. Look at the way we dress. Look at the way we talk. Look at how we look. We are godly individuals. They, well, you know, they're the prostitutes, the 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 strippers, the, the merchants who cheat people, that's who they are. They're the sinners. We're the righteous. Are you kidding me? Your sin of arrogance and pride far surpasses their sin of lust. And yet, it's all just sin. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says next. Suppose one of you has a a hundred sheep. Remember, the Pharisees were pointing his finger at Jesus because he's eating and reclining with the tax collectors and the sinners. I want you to know what that means. They were there listening to Jesus. They were leaning in on the conversation with Jesus. And what was Jesus doing? He was there explaining and teaching them because they were being given life and he was helping them to understand the faith that the Holy Spirit was giving them. He was unpacking it for them. He was helping them to see the life that they could have. And the Pharisees are shaking their naughty little fingers at him and just being all jerkish. Jeez. And Jesus goes, hey, here's the deal. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He's going, look, he got 99 and one left, right? He goes, and even you, the shepherd, are going to leave the 99 and go after the one, right? They're like, yeah, that one's pretty valuable. You don't want to let that go because more money in their pocket. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way. This is Jesus saying, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Everyone needs to repent. But he was talking to them. Hey, you that have washed up the outside, but the outside's all nappy looking, right? Hey, you, I want you to know the Father is in hot pursuit of the one out there that you've turned your back on, the one you call the worst, the one that's lost, the one that needs to be brought back into the fold, the one who doesn't know me, the one who's being made alive, the one who God is breathing, the Father's breathing life into them right now, hot pursuit. And what is our great works? We're supposed to be out there pointing, putting them on our shoulders, and bringing them back. We're not supposed to stay with the 99. We come here on Sundays. We get encouraged. We get challenged. We go to our Bible studies. We find out what it means to live holy and what it means to do the works of God. And then what do we do? We go get the lost ones. And we're not making them alive. The Spirit is already breathing faith and life into them. They're just waiting for us to come and go, Woo! Let me put you on your shoulders and bring you back into the fold because you've been lost, my brother. You have been lost, my sister. Do we care enough? Do we love enough? Are we willing to do that? Who is your lost one? God has given you one. He has given you one. He's given you many. He has given you a life of influence. And how do I know? Because he has saved you to do good works. What are, those do, what are those good works? To grow up in him. To grow up in him. To live a holy life, right? And to go and point the way to Jesus. They're being given life and they just need to know what that means. The Holy Spirit's in them and they just need to know where to go. And we're supposed to enter into their lives, even the ones you think nobody wants anything to do with you or God. You don't know what God's doing in their life. And we're supposed to go. Will you go? Will we be a church that goes? Look, I just got to tell you, I understand that it's summer, and I understand that lots of people are on vacation, but I just want you to, seriously, seriously, look around and see the empty seats. We got 700 chairs in these two closets. We have another worship center with 350 seats. You think there could be one or two people out there that might want to know what the fold's like? You think there could be one or two people out there that want to know what it means to live for Jesus? You think there might be one or two people out there that want to know what the Word of God has to say into their lives? Could it be that somebody that's in your influence right now is being given the fresh breath of faith and all they're waiting for you to do? Oh, God, he gave you the good work before the creation of time. To tell them, to point to them, who's your lost one? For the next two months, I'm going to keep bringing this up. For the next two months, I'm going to walk with us as a church. And in September, we're going to have what we call our one Sunday. I hope you bring people every week. I hope there's people of influence that you're influencing are here every week, that you're meeting with them for coffee, that you are, are loving them in ways they never dreamed that they could be loved. But on that one Sunday, we're going to start a series that's designed for your friends, for your family. They're just starting to breathe. They're just starting to know who Christ is. And we're going to run a series in September. We're going to have one big kickoff moment, and we're going to, yeah, we're going to bring stuff in here and food trucks and whatever we can do, right? They're big parties. 
Why? Because when one comes to know Jesus, a party erupts. So we'll have a party. Who's your one? It won't be about that moment in September. It's about every day of your life. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? You're going to hear me say that from now on for the next two months. Who's your one? Who's the one that God's given you? Go after with all that you are, all that your heart. You were created in Christ for that moment. Father, we got to leave this morning. I thank you for this amazing congregation. I thank you for their faith in you that you've given them. I thank you for the way it's growing and the way it's expanding. I thank you for their generosity. I thank you for the way they love you and love others. I thank you for the way that they are spilling your word out all over the place. And so, Father, as we gather this Wednesday to pray to you on behalf of every child that's coming to VBS, would you do great work in their life? As we pray for our families, would you do great work in their life? And, Father, would we grow up in you and live holy lives and point to you, for you have given us good works. In your name we pray. Amen.